All right, today on part four of Help Me Save the Titan um, with Sam Worthington. And I keep forgetting to look up all the actors, and honestly, I don't care. This is a Netflix movie, and I'm here to help save this great movie. Or, you know, good movie. I, you know, I wouldn't call it, like, greatest of all time or anything. It's a good movie, but it has so many elements, and I think why, you know, um, as a critic, I hope we can, you know, as critics, I hope we can help, um, or any critic out there can help us um, see better these great movies or good movies and enjoy more of them by seeing the subtlety, the drama that we may not be aware of because it's more internal drama rather than external drama, and then the settings and how to understand and appreciate film um, as a literary genre, as a, a literary uh, art. So let's, I want to look for this time at a one of the reviews. We're not going to watch this whole thing, of course. I'm just going to watch a couple minutes. And I, if you watch the other three uh, videos that I did, you'll see how completely this uh, film and how most critics today, uh, is, you know, and this has 227,000. So whether this guy is a professional or not, doesn't really matter. A lot of people watched this film or this, this, um, uh, this uh, YouTube video that could have possibly been inspired to watch the movie. Instead, they were inspired not to, and to just, you know, laugh at this 24 minute, um, you know, or, or 15 minute of nonsense of this, you know, guy who's good. You know, he, he's funny sometimes, but he doesn't understand this movie at all. So let's take a look at one little scene, for instance, just to get an idea. Family being instantly transported to a very luxurious home with a beautiful view. Already so that's, remember all I said about the setting, about fairy tale aesthetics, about um, the, the island of Dr. Moreau, about the, the, the greatness of how they chose those Frank Lloyd Wright views how it's all an experiment you know and that this is all indicative of that that this is a garden which is representative of garden he, there's so much going on here and he just says oh it's a beautiful view he doesn't like there, there's there's such a stupidity there's such an ignorance about all that's going on here there's no other word but stupidity Already, our special main character is in no way special to the audience so again, I have spent a lot of time in my previous videos describing how the Rick character, the male character here, the quote-unquote main character, so this is what we call in the Eden Complex, the illusion of central position. And this uh, reviewer, who's again a buffoon, has no idea what he's talking about, he is not the main character. She is the main character. It's all about her versus the uh, doctor. And I hope that you watch video two and three. Um, even if you just watch, you know, one video, I think you'll get an idea uh, what I'm talking about here. If you don't like the other videos that I do, or you know, they're a little long, I admit. But you know, doing real rich analysis and criticism isn't something you can do in a couple minutes. We're only told he's special in one line of dialogue, and that's supposed to give our whole empathy towards this character. That's fucking bullshit. Shit. The world. So that that he says that's fucking bullshit. He's fucking bullshit. <laughs> this guy isn't the main character for the for the um, one part. Two, he this critic is right in one sense that this character, the Rick character, isn't that complex. He is reliant on Abigail. He's reliant on Abigail, as I've said. She is the driving uh, force of this story, and but the the idea that he's not special is one of the things I wanted to address in this um this this video uh, number 4 here because you know it's true that um we don't get 
the same kind of conflict that where she is discovering, she is challenging the, the status quo or the, the leader of this group. But he is definitely special in his own right. I mean, he's very strong. All the other one, all the other people die. And also the other female uh, homo titanius, she is reliant on him. She wouldn't make it without him. So there's other indications but this person isn't, you know, that, that Rick is special, but this person is not paying attention. So let's look at a scene. If you remember in the second video, I talked about the portraits um, that Abigail puts up that kind of tells her backstory. You know, she got she went to college. She got her degree, obviously. She married Rick, and she has that really weird look on her face, which is, you know, it's weird, and it should jar you the first time you see it, but you should also be thinking about it as relevant and important to the story, because it is. Because her character is the main character. So now we're going to, you know, and I also hypothesize that possibly the black character, the black woman in the uh, graduation photo is this other experimentee that's here. I, I could be wrong, but I think it's a safe assumption that she's at least like that person or supposed to be, you know, associated with her college days. And here's one way that we get, here's another indication the directors have of showing you that. What about you, Rick? College. Now, who wanted a tequila? Yes, please. So, so here's the the this woman here on screen. If you're listening, is um you know she has I think she has similar hair. Um, I can't. I'm gonna have to watch that again. I don't want to get accused of racism here. But you know she she's she may not. I mean, the only thing is I think her skin is maybe a little bit lighter than what's in the photograph. Um, so I could be wrong about that. But anyway. I think there's definitely an association, and we we get this here in a second. But what we just learned was that um, they met Rick and Abby met in college. So this is when she you know she got her degree and she's at her happiest. But when she got married, that's when she has that far off Cassandra look, where she sees the future, him being lost in the Syrian desert, and you know um, that kind of gets her back into uh, get, gets him back home. Same summer because we'll get to drink for a while. Now, watch here. Again? No. Yes. No. You and me, Abby, together. You and me, Abby, together. So she hands her the liquor. This is a very college esque moment, right? And we just learned that, you know, the, the um, directors even had us had her say that she met Rick in college. So we're back in college days and they're drinking like college kids. I mean, so we have an association with college and then, you know, she says, no, no, no. And then this uh, actor, you know, the tally who becomes homo titanius, she gives her the um, liquor and she, you know, because again, this is an indication of their backstory that she has always been the person to, you know, push her into, um, you know, and push her toward, uh, drinking, right? She's the kind of part of your do Dr. Jansen's the, the, you know, whatever, the, the doctor. <laughs> that was a pretty good look because if what I'm about to tell you is um, going to be important about the tally and the, this character here, uh, Abigail. Okay. Now this scene might've seemed weird to you when you first saw it. Why are they so casual and relaxed? Why are they together? Well, if you think about maybe they all went to college together, that's possible, right? And then when you learn what happens later in the movie, where she kills her husband, and we also learn that Rick was the one who got her through all of this, 
And it's possible that Rick chose Abigail instead of this individual. And we have other indications of this. You know, this is one indication. If you're watching, um, Tally is now, you know, very casually flipping her off, flipping Rick off, they're underwater. And she is pushing herself beyond all the other ones, all the other people, because they all are already out besides Rick because of Rick. So Rick is the, the guy who's inspiring them. Now she, um, you know, does this little moment, and I want to point this out. This is really annoying to me when uh, critics do this. So I'm really annoyed when, um, you know, people who probably read a book on filmmaking or went to film school do this kind of criticism crap, where they don't understand. You know, they 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 take some film idea and they don't understand the point of it, and then they just cr- use it to criticize or bludgeon. Uh, another filmmaker without understanding what's actually happening with the filmmaking. So, uh, and, and it also sounds good if you don't know, uh, anything about filmmaking, which this critic clearly doesn't know anything about filmmaking that you, um, you know, it sounds to an outsider is, oh yeah, look, he's making fun of this. So it obviously, and he seems to know what he's talking about. So yeah, he's right. Do some very weird Dutch angle stuff, which gives me a nice segue into one of the worst aspects of this film style in the world of film style can be everything. The visual language style. It can be everything, that's true. ...which you use to display certain images and scenes can allow us to separate the works of Edgar Wright and Michael Bay. You got your Dutch angles... Because your- that's the whole point of film, is to separate the work of Michael Wright and uh, Edgar... Or, uh, Michael... Well, whatever, the two people I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Your vertical zooms, your wide... Oh, man, vertical zooms and wide angles, those can only be used certain times shots, your close-ups, etc. But in the Titan, something got in the director's mind where he thought, you know what? All of that. I just fucking want all of that. So the entire movie is visual illiteracy to its most offensive way. And it becomes... How is it visual... Like, the question you you should ask is, how is it visual illiteracy? And does he really describe and explain why it is visual illiteracy? And what does that even mean? Visual illiteracy. Like, is this, there's not a stupider question or a term as visual illiteracy. Illiteracy? Really? Literacy? And like, yeah, come on, dumbass. It's more headache inducing than a fucking ice pick phlebotomy. In the pool, they use the most out of place vertigo zoom that comes out of strictly nowhere and it has no purpose. And I thought it was literally unintentional satire. Later. Now, why? Why? Just because he puts broad, abstract, emotional, you know, conclusions from his mind. That it comes out of nowhere. Why does it come out of nowhere? I mean, let's let's look at that scene. It, it doesn't come out of nowhere. Oops, let me. Uh, yeah, it doesn't come out of nowhere at all. It's very relevant to what's going on and what the emotion that that shot invokes. So she is a college friend who is in love with this character. She wants to be with him. This, you know, um, and she is now underwater in this thirty, you know, for thirty-two minutes. And she is the last one who's there besides Rick, and she wants to prove herself to the, you know, to Rick, um, and, you know, as, as capable and, and able to do what he does. But then all of a sudden, her world starts to shrink. That's the whole point of that that type of shot is to evoke that emotion. You know, it's a realization. It's something. And when you're watching it, you know, you, st- I start to worry. I started to feel. Like I was losing my breath when I watched that. Like I was starting to worry her head was going to blow up because remember, this isn't a normal holding your breath for 
four minutes or something like some world record of six minutes or whatever it is. This is 33 minutes on a very experimental program that we don't know anything about. Neither does she. And she, you know, it's, it, you know, I feel like, oh my gosh, she's going to drown. And she starts to freak out. Camera gets a little closer. Starting to get claustrophobic, like we have a lot of space. And then all of a sudden, we have no space. It's shrinking, she's starting to lose it, and she goes. Boom. So that was that, you know, vertigo type shot. Okay. So, I mean, that kind of thing is really annoying when uh, critics do stuff like that because it totally. Now, you can, you, you know, maybe a. a an editor or a cinematographer can argue that it's not the best shot in that. And I'd love to hear what they would have to say about that. I'm not a cinematographer, so I may, you know, be wrong that that's maybe not the best way to shoot that. Given, given what the, the scene was trying to convey. But I think it does, it did evoke for me when I watched it for the first time, that emotion of, um, you know, of doing something. But what tends to happen with these critics is they, you know, he even says in the, 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 YouTube video. He talks about he watched this with his friends and had made fun of it. What tends to happen is you, your friends make fun of something. So you, you know, psychologically start to make fun of it with them. And then you start to pick apart things and, and have conclusions without any evidence. Evidence requires a careful description of concretes, you know, based on what is trying to be established in the scene. The scene is trying to establish something between the two characters. That's the whole point of, you know, what a director does is putting all those elements together. So what is the character feeling? How, how do you want the audience to feel about that? You know, all those types of things are relevant here. And these critics don't seem to understand any of that. Now, if you remember, I mentioned in one of the earlier videos, the idea of water as being very significant. Well, we just saw that, um, you know, the, the, the other character tally, you know, so there's a love triangle going on here, or really a, a, between four people going on here. So there's, this is one of the subplots of this story is the conflict between families. So families play a really important role in this story. And you have the Marine and his wife and the, you know, and then you have Tally and her husband and yet you know, they're all coupled off. And, um, you know, the overarching structure is the conflict between Abby and the doctor, as I argued in the last two videos. But there are these subplots between the varying characters, which are just very subtle. You really have to pay attention to them. And, you know, stupid ass critics aren't uh, able to do such actual thoughtfulness because they just want to get drunk with their buddies and laugh at stuff rather than try to teach people how to see good films. So the, um, the character here, you know, and again, water is very, very rich in this story and it traditionally in literature through thousands of years in a fairy tale, water is always associated, you know, dominantly with fertility. And there is something about, you know, there's this barren space. I mean, that's why I said this is a great shot here. I said this in an earlier video. You have this infinity pool that goes off into the distance. You have these two characters, you know, making love. And before, you know, I just showed you a scene with Tally where they're underwater trying to survive in this new land together. Right, but they're separated spatially, um, you know, and the the character Tally and the character Rick are separated spatially, but um, they they you know because but they they are underwater and the water you know plays a very important role because 
Again, there's this idea of fertility. Here they, they um, have sex because remember, when we think about fertility, we're thinking about um, the whole context of the story is what is going to happen with the future. What are we going to do with the future? And at the end, when Abigail is staring out into space, like they're in space right now, they're floating heads in space right now. The the question is, how is she going to propagate? How is she going to, as a fertile female and the chosen mate of the hero or the, the, the strong man, how is she going to take that fertility to another planet using both space knowledge or space science, as it's been established in this story, and bioengineering from the mad scientist that they both. And so she, it's her job to bridge the gap between the two. And that's the whole point of this story. Are going to be the- oh, wait. Uh, you are going to be the first, first man, on, man Titan. on Titan. Hey. So here is another family moment. One of the, the wife of the Marine um, would very stereotypical wife, right? And the bl- you know, beautiful blonde who likes to garden and she's very innocent. And she wants to ask Abigail a personal question. Abby, can I ask you a personal question? She's Texan, right? So, like, that's very, it's such a stereotypical story, which is fine because, again, they don't have very much time to convey the idea of these two characters, the Marine and his wife. Sure. You get scared? Yeah, I get scared. Is Rick now? Yeah, Rick knows. Do you pray? It's called foreshadowing. I don't pray as much as I should. I pray. I didn't want to come here. He's a corporal in the United States Marines, about to make a sergeant. Could have chosen his own station. He ain't got no business in space, but I can't tell him that. Why not? Because he'll get mad. Call me chicken. So we already realized that this Marine is kind of a monster, right? He would call his wife a chicken. He'd get mad, right? She's afraid. So we already get indications that he's a monster, which gives you, which should give you pause as to why the doctor chose the Marine, right? And part of it is he wanted to try different, you know, different things on different people. That's kind of what we, we get out of this. So again, remember one of the, um, Themes I've been talking about is the idea of family. You got family back home? You got family back home? He asked one of the other uh, test subjects. Who is this? And back home, uh, it was he said this right before that line, was um, uh, Syria, which is where Rick was fighting when he got shot down. So this other soldier who doesn't answer, we suppose his family was murdered in the Syrian or killed, I should say, in the Syrian war. So this idea of family is important that all of this is for family. The one that guy earlier in the movie said, uh, you know, this is a one way ticket. He's just trying to get away from his from there. He, he just wants to get away from Earth. So, again, we have the Abigail family who we discover at the end is her family is a miracle. Right, because they're a loving family. This is the this is what the key to the future is to be a loving family. It's very cliche, but it is what it is. That's pretty common in uh, movies today, and uh, and literature. Now we have this other. We have the Tally character. Now this is Tally's husband, and he says, and this is so. One criticism I did here 
that was very true. One of there were a few th- criticisms of this movie that did annoy that were accurate. I thought and really kind of annoyed me. One of them was the sound. It was very hard to make out the dialogue, and I think that was a problem. I, you know, I don't. I really think dialogue should take precedence in all movies. But this is a movie. My only thought on this is this director was so focused on the visuals that he just kind of let the audio slip a little bit. You know, like twenty percent less than it could have been. Because the visuals are gorgeous. I mean, you know, we have the cooking is perfect. Everything is well thought out in terms of who's doing what, what that means during that scene. And it's not random. It's not like two people just cooking because they're supposed to be cooking. They're talking about their families, which, you know, again, is about love. Food is always about love. This character is in love with Tally. But, you know, we get the sense she doesn't love him and she never has. But he pursued her. She loves Rick. And we get that very clearly in this scene. Like, even if you don't see all the stuff about college that I talked about earlier, it's very clear here. So anyway, let's listen to the story. He, I'm going to have to read some of the dialogue if you're listening because it's kind of hard to hear it. He says, the husband says, she was this badass cadet I used to see in the mess hall. Badass cadet I used to see in the mess hall. I felt hopelessly in love with her. I used to write a poetry. I fell hope so you know he's a uh, British or or something European. I fell hopelessly in love with her. I used to write her poetry. So he's uh, he's kind of soft, feminine, you know uh, that type of character. He's cooking, right? So he's doing the female uh, female activities. I had the worst lyrics. I had the worst lyrics. Then one day when the war started, they stationed her at Diego Garcia. Then one day when the war started, they stationed her at Diego Garcia. She left. Oh, she left. So what did you do? What did you do? Um, I went and I found her. I went and I found her. Now we want to start a family. Now notice how she says that. Now he wants to start a family. Does she want to start a family? Doesn't sound like it. But they changed the law, so it doesn't matter now. Can't have any kids without a permit, and we can't get one here, so... Ryan, give us a hand, will you, love? He thinks if I go and come back, I'll have got it out of my system. Be the good wife. Does that sound like she wants to be the good wife to him? What's her next line? Oh, Abigail starts to see her turn into a monster. That's a good moment to see that Tally's turning into a monster. So we see the veins. I wouldn't have made it this far without him. Now, when she says him, she's not talking about her husband. The shot moves over to Rick. I wouldn't have made it this far without Rick. Yeah. That's Rick. You like that? So... Now we have this scene where they're both homo titanians and they're both husband and wife. And, and now, um, you know, Rick has to kind of decide because the, um, Tally character comes over with blood on her hands. So this is the Oedipal tra- tragedy. She lives out the Oedipal tragedy as a microcosm to the Oedipal comedy, which is the, you know, uh, successful transference of power is one way to look at it is, but she kills her husband. Um, well, I guess that, you know, Oedipal probably wouldn't be the best way to look at that, but, you know, killing her husband, 
in order to be with the new king would be another way of doing it, which is now Homo Titanius. She wants to be with Rick. She wants to be, she's always wanted to be with him, and now she sees this as her chance. So Rick just jumped out of the pool very strongly. <laughs> and Abigail watches them tactilely, you know, holding hands, and they're, you know, experiencing the tentacle things that they do with each other. Which is kind of weird, for sure. <laughs> but whatever, it's all made up anyway. And he, so basically, we, it seems like she is telling him the story of how she murdered her husband. Right? And then they both see Abigail. And now, Rick realizes what this means. What, what is his decision going to be? Is he going to be the monster? And then we have the soldiers coming in. So that, that's the whole point, I think, of that scene. And what's going on with the whole subplot here. And this is a subplot of the um, you know, conflict between these two characters. Or between, between all the characters here. And what he has to do. And then as I've shown in, in a couple other uh, clips. That he chooses, Rick chooses Abigail as his, as the, the, you know, his family basically is what he does. And that idea of your family provides you with the hope and the strength to, to move forward is, is present throughout this whole story. And that's one of the core, that's why the, one of the final lines before the sun comes into the, to the uh, NASA Titan two program is your family is a miracle, Abigail. So we get that, you know, your family is a miracle. The other families are not miracles. Why? I mean, that's not 100%. I don't think that's as clear, except that Abigail is a strong leader and Rick is a strong follower and they, they you know, coexist really well and they love each other. It's, I don't think it's super clear why, it, you know, which one is, uh, you know, it's not a novel, so it doesn't have the ability to really convey that type of depth. But what it does do is it shows these contrasting families. It shows the, the man without a family and he doesn't care about his life anymore. He just wants to go one way ticket and die. He doesn't, he's, he's just up for anything because he's basically, he has no purpose anymore. And then we have the Marine and his wife and they, you know, their purpose is, or, or the Marine is very, you know, self-conscious. He's, he has no real self-esteem about himself. He's just trying to prove he can do something because he's got bravado and, you know, his wife is scared. And of course, she's the one who's gone out the window and murdered by the monster who's then put down. And, um, and then you have the family of Tally and her husband, who he is weak, effeminate, and uh, she doesn't seem to really love him. It seems like she always loved Rick and that, or if she, even if she didn't go to college with Rick, she still probably loves him now. So we have all these things. And then we have the man, the doctor, the mad scientist who goes without, who manipulates all of them. And the, their love of family is important because his philosophy, as I said in the third video, is that, you know, people have to believe in something greater than themselves in order to do something stupendous or, or amazing. And that is his whole view is that he needs to not only give them the chemical properties and, and the 300 shots over the course of a couple of weeks, but he also has to manipulate their moral structure, their moral system, and in this case, family, and who's in charge of family. And so it's a battle between Abigail 
and uh, her love of her husband and her family and, and their future. And she even says, um, you know, she trusts in the doctor at first explicitly. She's very happy to see him. And that shifts over the course of the, the, the story. And, you know, then at the end, she battles him and, and rests complete control over the program. And she's now in control of Titan 2. So my point is of this whole thing and this whole, you know, I, I think this is probably, you know, two and a half hours of uh, me discussing this 95 minute uh, you know, video movie. And one of the, my purposes was one, you know, you can, you can take a lot of what I talked about to other science fiction story, watch ex machina, watch minority report, watch ready player one, uh, watch. A, there's a lot of movies out there that you can watch that are science fiction in this genre, especially ones that are going on today that you can apply a lot of the, you know, the six Eden complex that I was talking about the garden imagery and the, this illusion, the fairy tale aesthetics, illusion of central uh, position. Um, you know, and, and, and the, the natural limits, you know, are assumed in there. And so there's this question of, is he, what he's doing is questioned by Hernandez and there are limits to what we can do. And, um, you know, there's a battle for the future. There's a scientist or other you know, intellectual striver trying to be God or God-like. The dramatic structures tend to be Oedipal in some way. That means a transference of power between two people. That's the conflict. And then you have the symbol system relies on clear dichotomies. And I think the fertility of you know water and rock or you know barren desert, and, and you see that a lot. You see also the, the conflicts between the different families, man and woman. You, you, they're very broad symbols. And so this is a very deep, movie that is very aware and that uses the medium of visuals. So in the same way that if you read a novel or a short story or Frankenstein, it will give you concrete words of rocks and descriptions of the houses and the land that they're on. And this will be considered all beautiful that they have to do that with uh, the imagery of, and the camera work and the cinematography that is available to a um, director. And that's what they did. And I think they did a very good job. So I hope that you, you know, help me spread the word in saving the Titan on Netflix. And you, you know, I think um, one of my last things I'll say about this is I think that Netflix is the only place where you're getting, you know, any kind of real artistic attempts. And sometimes I'm sure they will fall. And, you know, I do think that there are things that the Titan could have done better. Um, you know, I think the Igor character could have been more interesting uh, and more clearly defined based on the the uh, clothing that she wore, for instance, and the, the types of things that she did when there was a transfer to power. It, it seems a little bizarre. I think, you know, the sound, the dialogue not being very clear is a problem, you know, but for what it is, you know, it's it's a, a, a low-budget, good di uh, a science fiction story. I think they did a good job. They're very aware of their literary roots. Whether or not you know all the literature, it's there. You just have to know, you just have to really, really watch. So you can do, you know, it helps to have an awareness, you know, of all these science fiction stories that I do, <clears throat> but you don't have to, because even if you just saw, you know, carefully the production de design of those four portraits and, and Dr. Jansen, you can get an idea that the character and who is pushing forward the plot, it's, it's not Rick. Rick just does what he's told. Even if you don't know all the stuff that I was telling you about, Always ask yourself, who is moving the plot forward? Well, the, the plot of this, you know, revelation of this, this monster 
is the the Abigail, and she's the one who hits her hands and, and you know on the table and battles with the the um the the scientist. There's no conflict, you know, uh, just because there's a little bit of fighting with Rick. That's why people think it's anticlimactic because it's like he fights a little bit at the end and that's it. But you don't see that there's whole like all you have to do is just look at who is moving the plot forward. It's not Rick. It's Abigail, and that's very that'll be very helpful in future movies to look at who is moving the plot forward in a movie. And in this case, it's Abigail. Okay, so I hope that you will help me in saving this. And for those of you who watched all four videos or listened to all four podcasts, my hat is off to you. All right, until next time.